Web Summit. Known as one of the biggest tech conferences in the world, for some of the team I work in at Libble Sessions, it's a thing they do every year. For me, it's the first time I've been. I'm Josh, content producer at Label Sessions, and I'm going to take you on a little tour of Web Summit, Lisbon, and the best advice from the most interesting people that I met at the event as a first time. Starting small in Dublin in 2009 with 150 attendees to now today, a scope of over 70,000, it can quite simply be overwhelming. Let's face it, just talking to 150 people over the span of three days is in itself a monumental achievement. I'm lucky if I have 150 friends on Facebook, but what's Facebook to you these days? Anyway. Hosted in sunny, picturesque Lisbon this year and past few, it does wonders to your disposition coming from the beginnings of a Scottish winter. Walking around the city, you could just tell who was an attendee. Not from the wristband, but from the presence of t-shirts, and just that compared to the Portuguese locals wrapped up in warm jackets and coats. 20 degrees is 20 degrees after all, Celsius that is, sorry to my Fahrenheit friends. But making our way into the conference, the sheer scale of 70,000 people really starts to settle in. Once you're in, it's startup stands, booths, talks and walks galore as you make your way across the five pavilions to take in all of the wonderful developments that surround. Of all the many faces in attendance, I started my day talking to Eric Everett, former CERN turned tech consultant leader about his many stories in the industry. A favorite of mine was this tale of cultivating innovation in the early days of the World Wide Web, specifically the Yellow Pages. The growth of the internet in the 90s and early 2000s was spectacular, obviously. I've always been someone very interested in using innovation technology innovation to drive forward business. I've got a funny story in this respect. I was, um, the company was called ITT Promedia. They no longer exist, but they were publishing the Yellow Pages. And you probably know the Yellow Pages, so it was, uh, you know. They did this in 30 countries. I had the opportunity of demonstrating or telling about the internet to the board of directors of that company. Actually, I built a mock-up of the Yellow Pages on the internet. So I built some interactive websites where an administrator could change the content and a user could just consult, search for numbers or addresses or types of businesses. And they couldn't grasp the idea of a server and a client. No, they, they were, thought it was local. So no, 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 the server's in Geneva. Are we in Brussels? So, wow, okay, um, why? <laughs> and then they said, nah, we're not going to do it. We've got a better idea. Um, we're going to publish the Yellow Pages on CD-ROM. We're going to sell it <laughs> for 10 euros or 10 pounds per piece. I'm not going to imagine how well that went. <laughs> right, I mean, it, I, I think they did it for a couple of years. Yeah. And that's just one story. Our talk alone could have filled this entire podcast, frankly. Anecdote aside, Eric's experience speaks for itself and his new venture at APAFS guiding tech innovation through expansion across Asia and Europe is one to look out for. From that, three important elements ran as a through line of all the conversations I had thereafter. Utilizing a more sustainable practice, the power of women in tech, and the storytelling that ties it all together. Britta Music Tikovsky, 
is all free. An experienced innovation consultant with the business to connect dots, ideas, and people in her consultancy and beyond. She had a lot to say about what else? Innovation strategy, but also how to include not just sustainability, but diversity and ethics across her work. I was always searching for new innovation. Um, I went back to doing what I did before, like a business consultant, consulting companies on strategic business development, also with regards to technology, what kind of technology to use. Because I've, over the past 15 years, at least I should say, I've developed a focus on sustainability, diversity, and ethics and technology. Because what I've seen too often is people develop products with technology because it's doable, not because it makes sense. I don't want to say that everybody does it, but I've seen it too often that sometimes solutions are developed because it kind of sounds cool, because it's doable, but it's not really cool. I mean, AI is one of those topics where I'm very biased of what it can do and what not. I would encourage people when they either found a business or want to create a new product, really think about what purpose they are serving. And take a step back, talk to different people, get different viewpoints, because again, what is very important to me is to have technology used for good, for the good of the people, for the good of the society, and for the good of our planet. I learned also that she had the honor of speaking at Web Summit and recommended me a few talks to attend, not just her own, of course, but most notably being GPT author. And if you recognize those three letters, you'll know it's an extension of the infamous chat. The idea, of course, being that the GPT model can capture the essence of human emotion and intuition in literature. As with most things AI, it's a dilemma. It's capable of generating 100,000 word novels. But are they any good? Again, as with most things AI, the start? No. It's a jumping off point, a tool, something to combat that dreaded blank page that any writer has faced at one point or another. Though personally, starting with a six-digit word count novel as a first draft, tad overwhelming in my eye, almost going to the opposite extreme of having a blank page. Just too much to sift through. Public perception is indeed mixed, but yet again, as with most things AI, it's the possibilities. The literary sky is the limit. But turning back to those key elements from before, I rounded off my day talking to financial and sustainability expert Maureen Hennessy. She spoke to the competition in her space, how you measure the success of sustainability initiatives in your business, as well as her push to put women forward in her own startup, for C. I saw on another uh, company, a different, they're not competitive, very few competitors in this space at the moment. They maybe do heat exchange boilers or something like that. What they had on their landing page was the carbon footprint that they have saved. I want to get that metric, you know, um, that's a part of the change process. As I go a bit further down the road, at the moment it's just measure the change then will come as well. And so that that's what I want. I want, I want to see that number growing every day. That's from a sustainability perspective, but also in a wider ESG perspective, there's a few pieces. So first of all, remote first. I won't be having a corporate offices. Um, I also will be proactively selecting women above men. And that's a little controversial, but I believe in supporting women who are maybe parents who need to work different hours and not to keep the nine to five, eight to four, whatever it is. So if they need to work seven to eight in the morning, they need a couple of hours off, bring their kids, do whatever. 
then if they need to work later in the evening uh, uh, to fit around family life. That's one thing. And then the next thing is also, I believe, differently abled. And that's whether that's neurodivergent or physically differently abled. I believe I'm a very strong believer in that. And what a wonderful perspective to round out the first day indeed. Keyword being day. There's still, of course, the night and the larger than life night summit. After a much needed rest for my soul and the soles of my feet, myself and the team headed along and larger than life it was. Almost too large, if anything. This is where, for me, the scale of attendance at Web Summit went from awe to a slight detriment, simply because it was just too busy. Whereas the conference center had the space to facilitate the vast amount of people flowing, the night summit did not. And it was at capacity just an hour after opening. But luckily, we made it in. To the first area. Yes, there was a queue to queue, effectively a waiting room for a waiting room. I won't talk about this any further because let's face it, there's very few venues in the world, never mind just Lisbon, that can handle 70,000 people plus on a given night. It's just not feasible. You don't typically rent out arenas for nightclubs. Alas, it's not all bad because queues formed the basis of a mutual icebreaker where we met Declan Crew, a data scientist for real-time energy cargo tracking company known as Vortexa. Hell of a mouthful, I know. And quite frankly, his career path and story was just too fascinating to pass up. So once the dust settled on the evening, we arranged to link up again the next day for him to walk me through it for your listening pleasure. Originally, I was an academic. Uh, and I mostly did research in uh, botany while trying to uh, create better, better plants for agriculture. I think academia in general is quite, a, quite an insecure place to work. You don't really have permanent contracts, you're constantly like, seeking out funding. So I, I left academia and then uh, I worked in pharmaceutical schools. Uh, so I worked for a small pharmaceutical startup, well, essentially trying to bring products to markets. So we would try to create a business case about doing sort of burden of disease modeling. After a couple of years of that, uh, that startup actually went under, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> although the, uh, a lot of the team behind it went, went up on the other one, which is, uh, which is doing a lot better and it is still going. At that point, I decided to join the Ministry of Defense uh, as a data scientist. One of the main areas was, uh, uh, this was based upon down. And one of the main things that Warden Down does is uh, sort of energetics research. So um, doing research into uh, improvised explosive devices of, uh, you know, who made them sort of crime scene investigation type things. I was there for about well, three and a half, four years. Yeah. Um, and that was about, that was really the first time in my career where I started doing sort of management and uh, a mentorship sort of, uh, sort of parts of the role. Um, and that, that started quite ad hoc. Um, so I've been programming since I was a, a child, basically, <laughs> uh, just as a initially as a hobby, but that's always been a sort of a through line in my career. Like I've always done, done coding and I've always done engineering. Um, and that really, uh, that really started to lend itself in the Ministry of Defense yeah. um, because there's such a strong requirement for it. Yeah, like so, some of that, that leadership was uh, within my, my core discipline. So um, digital forensics and, and that kind of thing. Um, but then something which came completely out of the left field was uh, I was asked to, well, I was asked to take charge of uh, uh, radar research. <laughs> Uh, and obviously with a, a degree in botany, it was not particularly useful for, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for radar. <laughs> uh, so I, I kind of, yeah, I was kind of forced to, to very, very quickly develop my sort of coaching skills and my, uh, my active listening skills. Um, because really it was like, yeah, I, I don't know anything. Yeah, I went from being someone who thought I would never want to be a, a manager to someone who, yeah, I, I can't really imagine management not being part of my, my role at, uh, at the moment. 
Declan's work today is of course powerful, as data is knowledge and knowledge is power. But he was fascinating to me also as an example of how you can have a through line in your career. That one skill that sticks with you, in his case, programming. But that doesn't mean that there isn't twists and turns along the way. Knowing your strengths and being flexible and adaptable with those strengths means that you can roll with the punches. This leads me quite neatly onto our final element, that is of course, storytelling. And its importance in not just business, but your own individual career also. Irina Manikovska, tech London advocate and CMO of XME Digital, shared with me just that. Storytelling becomes a crucial and invisible skill. I mean, it's not about for brands to make your story valuable for your customer, just like for me to be able to tell you what I'm doing for a living in a more uh, convenient way so you will spend less time and effort to understand just with a story or example or whatever. So that's why I think storytelling is one of the key business skills today uh, for a lot of people and a lot of roles. So it's not only for like C-level executive who need to do leadership, but it's also for like cool like regular employees because it allows you to communicate with people more easier, more need. And she's absolutely right. But how do you tell a story without a concept to back it up? How do you sell a product that isn't even a product yet? Next, Jost Schulter, responsible for new business development at digital production agency Droxek, shared his thoughts with me on the benefits of a strong concept and the context you need to place it into a market. I think what we're seeing, everybody has great ideas, yeah. right? The most difficult part is, is let's say you have a, an idea and an, a concept in mind and actually turning that into a reality. I'm not even talking about the funding and the, everything that goes around it. No, how can you make something feasible and how do you reach that? And there are, there are great startup programs that will guide you, let's say from, not from a technical perspective, but let's say from, you know, oh, you know, you need to do this, so you need to do that, and then you can talk to the VCs and then with, with, with this company. But sometimes just trying to make your idea into a, into a technical concept, you know, just takes time. And sometimes you already have to have the long, long future in, you know, in mind. So you want it to be um, scalable. You want it to be easy to, you know, add new elements into it. But on the other hand, sometimes you just want to go to market. So your first, very first prototype is just going to be like that because you just want to go to market and you just want to send it out. And this is the part where we sometimes have challenges because it's really difficult to, to extract exactly you know what we want so most of the times our our whole thing is, is is like okay how can we go back to the very core well-being of what you are which technologies behind it would work for you and it doesn't always mean that we are making the right decisions because you know things change market change you know uh, you know always in this case right let's say the documentation, but also the processes of how to achieve that from a technical point of view. And from the technical point of view to a tidy little bow, it all comes together. It truly is the sum of its parts, the motivational force in making change in business by assembling what makes it work, piece by piece. Something that can seem overwhelming at first, but you just need to keep chipping away at it.
that motivation, that feeling was in my final interview I did shortly before jetting off back to chilly Edinburgh with Raymond Hans. Someone referred to me by Britta from earlier on in this podcast. Behold, the power of networking. But anyway, Raymond is an entrepreneur turned lecturer back to entrepreneur. Recently starting his sustainable venture, Future Forward Collective, focused on breakthrough business transformations. He was the perfect cap on the conference, the cherry on top, if you will. His perspective on the driving force that could be pessimism was as enlightening as it was hilarious in this wonderful phrase he put. I always say there's two driving forces for change in the world. Yeah. Burning ass, burning desire. <laughs> Either your ass is on fire or you have a huge dream. The interesting thing is if your ass is on fire for too long, you are burned out. Whereas if you have this dream that keeps giving you energy. So in the short term, for example, with COVID, we can use a big challenge for the better and we can do things that no one can, could ima imagine before that. But on the long term, you need, you need to have hope. So that's why I, long term, I have a lot of hope the world will be a better place. Short term, our asses are on fire and we need to do something. <laughs> that's where change comes from. There's, there's <laughs> nothing else. This is the only reasons why people change. Burning ass, burning desire. I love it in its summary, not only for its truth, but also because it just simply makes me giggle, frankly. And with that, that wraps up my first ever time at Web Summit. A story in interviews, exhausting with more steps across three days than the actual attendance itself, but wholly rewarding. Not only for the connections, but for the people. People make these events among many things. I, for one, hope to do it all over again next year. So concludes another episode of Label Sessions Presents. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast no matter your platform of choice. And of course, start your journey today with us at labelsessions.com.